Welcome to the Circles Off podcast, episode five. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And Johnny, it's been an interesting week for me. The the Ben the Better challenge is on the underway. Um, Tortoise versus the Square, as uh, as it was coined by Plus EV Analytics on Twitter, which I really liked. Um, but we're recording this Friday after Thursday afternoon, I should say. So we've only got one night in the books, but already the feedback has been like insane. And just the amount of engagement with, with this tortoise making picks. I, I mean, it's peak 2021, but it's, in my opinion, amazing content. Like, I'm so glad that I, I don't even know what made me respond to Ben's original tweet challenging me like with the, you have to run the gauntlet of my, of my pets before you can face me type of thing. But I, I'm so glad that I did just for the content. It's been hilarious, man. I uh, I was dying of laughter looking at that uh, the video of you and the the tortoise. He's moving so slow, and then he he looks up, he picks it up. And you're like, "What's he gonna pick?" And the sticky notes, the whole thing. It's uh, it's good content. A lot of people are liking it. I'm liking it for sure. And uh, I mean, can you believe it? Three and O nights from both Tortellini and Ben. Uh, so we're we're all square, and I guess Ben's got the slight edge right now because he he bet a plus O five in there. Yes, so he's no. up. One fifth, uh, sorry, one twentieth of a unit. The conspiracy theories are already starting to roll in. Um, I got some DMs this morning about is Ben being fed like sharp plays? I've I'd never seen him go undefeated in a night before, which is just hilarious. So no, there's the going to be part is he he actually submitted so he, in his Patreon he still went three and three. He just his three <laughs> picks his three picks he gave on the contest were all winners somehow. But but his uh, his subscribers I guess you can say still got value because everyone's fading them. So he, they still went they still broke even. They didn't lose three units. I do think that the smaller limit of picks works in his favor a little bit because uh, he tends to go off the deep end sometimes, right? With the amount of plays just in general, sometimes he'll he'll lose his shirt completely on one game by betting a team spread and money line. Um, so. It's kind of working to his advantage, I think, to to lower that sample size a little bit. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? It's it's interesting. Just like he he played, he he locked in Red Wings, I think, plus one and a half NHL uh, at, at plus money, which is very unlike him. Which has my, you know, my my senses are tingling a little bit. Of hmm, by your interest peak. Yeah, I'm like ah, because yeah. he. he but I mean, it could just be a product of the competition because he can't take the big money line underdog either. So he's just has to resort to taking the plus one and a half. But um, it's been crazy, man. Like yesterday's a, a typical periscope for me on on Sundays when I when I do my regular periscope during the NFL season will generally draw um, six to eight thousand unique viewers, uh, and that's including the replays. The first day of Tortellini picks drew like twelve thousand unique <laughs> so almost double 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 the lowest amount of my, of my periscope yeah which is hilarious because it's just like um obviously a tortoise making picks but like my friends are watching it and and they're telling me like this is great entertainment because I, I, nobody sees my perspective either like i wish i had a helmet cam or something i wish i could record this from multiple angles but he's walking directly towards me very slowly and he like i'm talking like probably three quarters of the time he gets directly in between the two pieces of lettuce. Like you have, I have no idea where he's going to go. And he just makes a sudden turn for no reason, one way or the other. What do you mean for and, no reason? He's sharp. Three and oh. Well, 
it's true. I mean, maybe he knows, but uh, today I think there was like maybe some sort of bias where he was picking the left side. I think he picked the left side in his first four picks, and then the last one just out of nowhere went to the right side, which I I don't. (laughs) Oh man, it's it's. But it took like eighteen minutes to record the entire thing to get this guy to make five picks. Yeah, well, he's he is. He is a tortoise. a tortoise. So yeah, let's give him yeah, let's give him credit. He's not the fastest guy. No, that's uh it's great so far. It's been going good. We got um a lot of people following on the app as well as as on Twitter. So so far a success. Let's see how it goes. I mean, they posted the new odds updated. Uh so now Ben, you can get him at even money and uh Tortellini minus thirty. So still now I guess the books are just kind of like, you know, toss some action and we'll 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 make our juice. But, uh, but man, initially I know I was talking to doc better. He crossed some pretty big amounts at the plus 45. He's heavy on Ben. He was messaging me saying like, I'm a little worried. Like is, is Rob going to be influencing these picks? Is someone going to be like, you know, doing this? Is he going to give the sharp picks to the, the inherent bias on the tortoise? And, and then on the other hand, I had some other guys messaging me that crossed with them that said, Hey, I'm a little worried. I think some sharp people are, might give Ben his pit, their picks and all this. stuff. So it's been like, I got both sides messages, at least five messages per side. I mean, it's, it's been hilarious. Yeah. I mean, everyone's worried that there's some sort of outside influence and, and that's understandable when money is at stake because we, we can't prevent this kind of stuff from happening. Um, when, when Ben does lock in his picks every day, I do message, like, I don't, I don't bet the NBA. But I message my friends who bet the NBA and I'm like, you know, what do we want Tortellini to end up on here? Because I want to know. But the reality is that they, they all have differing opinions anyways. Like it's not it's not like every sharp comes in on the same side, right? It's it is it's just coin like the tortoise is just literally coin flipping like it's well, happening. Yeah, he's, at, he's locking it in at the bet Chris line at the exact time when you make the pick like you're you're putting it on your phone at that time. So, I mean, if there was edges there and you knew them, I'm sure you'd be betting them and not wasting time with the tortoise. Exactly. <laughs> so you really, he really is coin flipping. Uh, but yeah, what do you think? So what do you think of the start? So is uh, give me a prediction for for tonight, and it'll be out tomorrow. So when people hear this, they'll see. Uh, I I, uh, I don't mind um, Tortellini's hockey picks tonight. I mean, I still feel strongly that Ben is going to blow this, and some like if it if it's him doing the picks, which we don't know, we can't confirm, we'll never be able to confirm. But if it's Ben creating the picks himself. I feel like the guy is the ultimate mush. We've seen it so many times. I, I feel like Tortellini has the advantage. Um, it's funny. I, I actually did DM Pat Morrow, um, the Bovada odds maker on Twitter, just to find out like if they end up ended up with a liability on either side. And he, he responded saying, we're, we're rooting for Tortellini. So there was more money on Ben. There was the, a higher percentage of bets on Tortellini. So the small stakes guys, like 20 bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever. We're betting against Ben. But the big money, like anyone who's big money with 250 bucks, whatever, it doesn't matter, was coming in on uh on Ben. So the 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 sports books are rooting for uh for Tortellini here. If if you're one of the um uh bet, you know, bet against the public type of, type of guys, uh, I'm not. By well, the way. I think some guys who came in who who don't even really know about this whole contest or aren't even big on Twitter, and they're just like, "Oh, this is what you can do." Oh, they're offering this, and they saw the tweets, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, I got a I got a burner account, or I got something. Let me toss." It's it is it was likely plus expected value on Ben at 145, as we discussed last time, or 135. But all good. Let's see how it plays out. I mean, uh, 
Well, successful day one, day two, obviously picks are in. Let's see what happens. Uh, let's see what happens tomorrow. But yeah. I think by the next recording, we'll probably be either done the podcast or just or done by the next podcast. We'll be just about done the po- uh, the contest. I'm ju- I'm just fingers crossed that there's no loopholes that come up. Like that's that's all I'm hoping for is that there's nothing that he can exploit because like we we you know we didn't put a ton of thought into this. You know, this morning he locked in three of his plays at 4 a.m., I think, which is like, okay, fine. We probably should have made it after circles are off or something like that, at least. But because he can, if he is picking sharp plays, he can get way more closing line value if he's betting them early. Yeah, whatever. Quick peek. He's he's still at negative CLV today, so I wouldn't be too worried. Well, I mean, yeah, I saw that as well. The tortoise got Tortellini got screwed yesterday because the the Kings ended up starting their third string goalie. They were supposed to start Calvin Peterson in net, and he ended up being put on the COVID list. So they had to start a guy that hasn't played an NHL game in like six years. They still end up winning five one, but the CLV for Tortellini is not looking great after after that one. But I'm just hoping no loopholes come up really, and I, I've tried to like get out in front of them. Uh, I, I posted them in in the the Twitter thread in terms of the rules. And um, I've been chatting with Ben on a daily basis, making sure that there's, there's nothing fishy happening or he's not, you know, he's not plotting anything that's out of left field. I think we'll be okay, but that's where I could see this taking a, a left turn. Yeah. Well, two days in a row, uh, Ben messaged me. I had to fix his, uh, his picks. Oh, Cause he, if he this, keeps like- putting in a hundred base amount. He doesn't put in a base amount. He puts in the risk amount. So when he bets like a minus 10, puts it as a hundred for 91.91 instead of 110 for a hundred, even though I, I preset his account to base, but we fixed it up. Now we should be, we should be cleared up. Hopefully moving forward. You, you, you preset his account to base amount and he still can't get the bets in properly. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> I checked it now. I thought I preset it to base. I check it now it's at base. So either he switched it or it was preset to base, but I, I don't know. Like, we're all good now. I keep adjusting them. I, I, you know, if it's a minus one hundred eight, I just make it oh eight a hundred. I've been messaging yeah. him, but well, it's the rules. It's the rules of the contest. It's not like we're screwing things up. No, of like course we set a hundred yeah. base amount. That way, it yeah. keeps the units flat, and you don't. There's no like issues with the staking size later in the contest. Yep. But uh, all good. So moving on, we wanted to uh, bring on. I guess we'll call it a guest. Not really a guest. It's uh, my business partner, uh, Julian from Betstamp, um, and. We're going to talk about essentially one of the key topic. We'll try to stay on trend. March Madness is coming up or, you know, a a short while away. Uh, But this is the time when everyone looks to see as the conference tournaments are are coming to a close and everybody says, you know what, let's get some futures in for, you know, the seeds, the full tournament as selection Sunday happens. And then the seeds are known. It's a big time to get some futures in. And um, one edge that we've always had is, you know, the ability to determine when to bet a future, like a, a, a small future that we'd like, uh, or when to potentially roll over, you know, a money line odds on that team throughout the tournament. So essentially betting, let's look, I mean, I know Duke's not in the tournament this year, but instead of betting Duke outright, you know, what would the odds be to bet Duke, you know, round one, two, three, four, five, six, and does that, which one pays out higher, higher probability. And, and this obviously very, very timely, as you mentioned, Johnny, with March Madness around the corner, but these are like, this can be applied to any sport really, which is this, this is going to happen in the future futures market in the NFL playoffs and uh, MLB playoffs, like everything across the board where somebody's going to go and try to take out a future. And then there's going to be a, 
decision to be made whether they're better better off just rolling over the money lines in in those games rather than playing the future. So while it's on, you know, it's timely now because of March Madness, this is a principle that can be applied across anything. Yeah. So we're going to bring on Julian now. Um, Let's connect him here. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going, I would say. Um, Been the better challenge, full swing, but now we have March Madness on the horizon and definitely uh, a topic of conversation has, has been about betting futures versus rolling them over on money lines. Uh, so wanted to pick your brain a bit, because I know this is something that you've done in the past before, Julian, but for someone who's going down that that path and you know it's after selection Sunday, it's Monday or Tuesday of the week, and they want to decide whether they should place a tournament future or just bet the team on the money line and then continue rolling that over, how does someone go about doing that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I definitely like to bet on March Madness. And I think most of the, you know, Canada, America is there with us. So I understand where you're coming from. Like you, you come into the thing and you want to bet on something. So now the question is what's the best way to get the most value out of my bet on my favorite team or the team I think is going to win, but I'll even back it up a second. So these conference tournaments following this are very, uh, very much the same style. The teams play each other in a one game elimination and then the winner uh, you know, keeps going. So in these conference tournaments, you might have some buys or double buys or some extra rules that come into play. But other than that, it really is the same situation. And then all you have to do uh, to determine what's better is try to predict what you think kind of the lines would be in various scenarios and the likelihood that they would play certain teams and kind of map out what your own um, rollover price should be if you were to roll over each game. I'm sure we can get more into that and then compare that kind of to the futures price you're getting. And if you're line shopping, you want to compare that kind of to the best future price you can get on each team. Okay. So why don't we, uh, would you be able to take us through like a live example potentially? What we're looking at doing is, you know, should I bet, you know, a future bet or should I roll it over? Like let's, how, how would you go about actually breaking down? Like what are the numbers involved? Okay. I mean, I did this for a few conference tournaments, so, um, we could, we could go through one of these, for example, uh, what's kind of an interesting one that's just related to right now is, is I did this for the ACC tournament and I kind of came out with Duke as a, as a small edge. So we decided to play some Duke pretty small. Uh, I thought it was looking pretty good after (laughs) the first couple of games, but, uh, COVID strikes. If you don't know by now, Duke had to kind of withdraw from the tournament due to COVID. So, that was pretty tough, but, but you know, it still remains the same. I didn't factor that in and I'm not sure if I, you know, missed something there, but I'm going to just go ahead and I was just kind of unlucky, but, but, uh, you know, I, I wrote a little program and I understand everyone's not going to be a programmer here or, or even has to be, but essentially I, I used a bit of the market current market odds for the first game. And then after that, I just took, uh, kind of a very simple ish model that's based on some of the information that's kind of readily available out there today. And then just ran a simulation, um, nothing complicated, but you know, I, pre- I, I set up the bracket and then I'd run a simulation and then that would kind of tell me how often each team makes it to the second round, to the third round, to the fourth round, to the finals. Um, I came out with Duke as a, you know, just under 4% for just under plus 2,500. Then I, you know, shopped around kind of all the different shops. I was able to get plus 4,400. So I was like, okay, for a small play and I get to enjoy the game, it's not going to be a huge edge or anything. And 
you can't get that much down on these futures at a lot of places or um, at some of the places where you get better odds, you might not always be able to get as much down. That's a better way to say it, but you know, did that to come up with, uh, come up with a, a play there. So how would the average person uh, who's not a coder be able to come up with what the future price, like how would you estimate that, you know, back of the napkin math? Is there any quick ways to do it? Any tips to do it? Yeah. So essentially you just got to take each, each game and consider this like a five game parlay. So, you know, what are the, in, in the first game, Duke was playing Boston college. That was like fairly known the kind of odds, fair odds, but it was around like minus 800. So you go, okay, the fair odds of that game is minus 800. They have, um, you know, a 12% chance of advancing. And then from there you do the same thing with the remaining games. The thing that gets complicated about the remaining games is there it's not like obvious that they're going to play the next best team. So I forget that you know, I don't have that bracket up right now, but I think their next team was, oh, actually now I remember. Yeah, so their next team was Louisville and that was already set in stone. So you knew for sure Duke was playing Louisville. Now you have to come up with kind of a guess of what that is, but Ken Palm actually on his, uh, you know, a simple enough thing for colleges, he explains exactly how he comes up with his um, win probabilities. And then he does factor in additional things, but he has all of the ratings there. And it's not like that's going to beat the market or anything, but that is relatively a simple market um, to come up with something. And it's, it's more or less just a formula that he compares the two kind of ratings he has of the different teams and then comes up with something. So I use that to kind of estimate, okay, well, Duke is probably going to be, you know, around like minus 150, minus 160 in that game. And that, that's a known thing. And then you go from there for each of the games. So after that, I think, they were on tap to play Florida State, assuming Florida State beat its team. Florida State would have been, you know, something like a, I don't know, minus 600 in the game that they were playing. And then assuming, I can't remember if it was another double buy. Was it a double buy? I don't remember. I don't know offhand yeah, either. Actually, you know, I think it might have been a double buy. So you might have even known they were playing Florida State. Mm-hmm. And then you can come up, okay, Duke's going to be a small underdog in that game. And then you can just kind of, so those three in that scenario, you already know. And then you just got to predict if they win all of those, I think the team they would play, not Virginia, I think it's North Carolina. They were set to play, but North Carolina could have also lost. So let's say, you know, there's like a 60% chance they play North Carolina. And if they did, they'd be a slight dog and a 40% chance they would play one of the other teams there. And if they played that other team, they would actually be a favorite there. And then you kind of re- repeat that for the finals where they're more likely to play, most likely to play Virginia. But really when you say most likely, it's still only like, you know, maybe a 40% chance. Um, and that's where you kind of get most of the, most of your edge from is being able to kind of predict out where those different probabilities of them actually playing those teams is. So you okay, need a, so then you need sorry, a decent, ahead, you need a decent estimator then of, of what the probabilities are going to be on on pretty much every single game. I agree with you. Like Ken Palm, you're not going to beat the market by using Ken Palm anymore. Those that doesn't happen, but it's a, it's a good enough estimator as to what the market numbers will be, or whether you want to use you know, T rank, which is the Bart Torvik uh, rankings, or uh, some people just model the market themselves based off of closing lines of previous games to come up with estimators. But the the starting point there is then to to come up with um, the likelihood of each team making it to each individual round then. Yeah. And then I guess what you're saying is from there, if you can get the probabilities for each game, and even if it's rough and you're estimating that there's an X percent chance of playing this team, X percent chance of playing that team, um, 
you can basically open up a parlay calculator or crunch a formula that shows if I were to parlay all these, here would be a true price. If that price is 3,300 and I'm getting 4,400, then that's a small edge for me. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, I mean, I calculate all of it based off of that model. And like you said, the model doesn't really have to be that perfect. Kind of the important part of it comes from the fact that it's a simulation where you're predicting kind of the likelihood of them playing different teams. And that's where, and again, I just need to be somewhat close to what the number is. And then when I line compare line shop and kind of see what it is, I could take a quick glance. Like it looks like if I'm going to be betting on Duke, I was, uh, I was predicting it out to be yeah plus 2,500 and I can get plus 4,400. So I'm able to get a small edge there. I'll do that. Now that I was able to do that and kind of find, uh, you know, several tournament bets. I don't think these are going to be huge edges. And like I said, you can't get much down, but as for like a, you know, back of the napkin type thing, it isn't that hard to come up with kind of the different scenarios. And like I said, with a Duke, I kind of walked through it. There's really only two scenarios you had to consider. Like, are they playing North Carolina or the other team? And then are they going to play Virginia or one of the other four teams, or I guess six in that scenario. So you can kind of walk through, uh, you can kind of put everything into a parlay calculator there and figure out roughly what are you thinking? Like in the scenario where they play Virginia, their true odds would probably be around plus 5,000 or maybe even higher. But in the scenario where they don't play Virginia, they'd maybe be, you know, plus 2000 in the scenario where they don't play plus Virginia or North Carolina, maybe they're like plus 1200 and it's, it's just doing that kind of, so if you're trying to do back of the back of the napkin math, you could take a look at what the odds are. Um, and, and even easier for this is sometimes you're looking at ones where they really only have two games. Um, and this is like, they have a double buy. Like if you wanted to bet on Virginia uh, going in, they only play two games and then you, you could, it's even less work to do. And those are usually smaller numbers anyways. Like they're, you know, you could get them for plus 200 to win the tournament, or you could roll over those two games and kind of the team they're playing is very likely to be, and you could figure it out from there. Right. So, I, I mean, March Madness will be probably be the most challenging, I guess, of, of anything in pro sports, just because of the size of the tournament in general. But I could think of like uh, a recreational better would have no problem doing it for something like the NFL, for example, where there's only seven teams in the playoffs in each conference. It's a lot easier to estimate the likelihood of, of each team in each round just by using simple market ratings or, or something of that matter. That's not to say it's undoable for uh, March Madness because I, I can uh, completely do it in this method using like some simple Excel logic um, or even just writing it out if I wanted to do it the long way. But um, it, it does get more difficult as there are more teams involved. That's a fair point, except the the markets that you're going to have for this tournament you kind of have all markets so if you go to some of the different books you're going to find what are the likelihood that this team makes the sweet 16 yeah. so you're not like yes if you go all the way to the finals and you want to bet on the finals and you're trying to use my logic here unless you you pick one certain team maybe you have enough to kind of do back of the napkin on that if you're building out a model you're going to probably do them all anyways but you know if you if you're just trying to look at one specific team Going all the way to the finals, I agree. It'd be pretty tough. You're looking at it's a 64 team tournament. But if you want to do round of 16, you're really not not having to weigh much. Like you're going to get the one seeds likelihood of making round of 16. And also at a lot of books, you'll have a yes, no price there. 
there's there's probably going to be some price discrepancies or you're going to find some like relatively low hold when you low theoretical hold when you compare different books and then it's like okay against the the one in the first round matchup you even have the market odds already set for you so you kind of only have to take a guess at the second round um I mean, last year, I know that we did this for Sweet 16. There was some Elite Eight market props. There was some Final Four. And then there was the actual um, tournament. The, the farther you go, you didn't get as many yes-nos for kind of the, the tournament. But I found yes-nos for Sweet 16 and yes-nos for Final Four. So those are almost easier in a sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely forgot. Well, didn't forget, but didn't consider the fact that there's so many alternative markets for March Madness. And then you... you you play the first two rounds as well and you get down to what 16 teams and then you have additional markets that are added on top of that because it's like a miniature tournament afterwards so there's a lot of applications throughout the entire tournament yeah i think another one would even be just any sport where there is a series for example like nhl or uh you know mlb baseball where there's a a five-game series seven-game series taking the series price right before the playoffs and saying and trying to project out who that team will play in the next round for example, like hockey, it's a four round, it's a four round tournament essentially yep. to win the Stanley Cup. So if you're going to bet on, let's say Tampa Bay Lightning to win the Cup right before the playoffs, you should also factor in. You know, you have probably the round one efficient series price. Factor out what you know they'll be in round two, three, four. A lot of times, if you shop around, you can find better numbers than that outright. Or if you really like a team and you want it to play an outright, your favorite team, you want to torch some money betting on the Leafs, <laughs> like I know I have every single year then um, you know, maybe it makes sense to basically keep a, ro- a rolling parlay of the series price uh, for all four rounds. I mean, one additional thing to note there is basically you have to consider some additional factors that wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be caught up in your model. So if you're trying to use like Ken Palm's data here, like Villanova just lost like their starting guard. Yeah. So if you're using that data and he doesn't, a factor that in he more is considering well for his team ratings he wants to kind of think of the team as a whole and and that's what it is but when you're trying to come up with the odds for that game they're obviously going to be shorter prices given the fact that they're you know or longer prices given the fact that they're missing their starting guard so that and then i mean if any team is kind of close-ish to home or that kind of thing so in in series like nhl you would have to consider if they're home versus away and that would affect series prices I guess it's already kind of considered, but if you wanted to roll over, you know, team A to beat team B in a series, you have to consider that, you know, the first two games are at home and then the second two games, there's a different true price. Um, so you can't just take game one, but on, on something like this, it's a neutral court every single game. So you don't, you kind of don't have to worry about that. You do need to consider things that aren't factored in like the you know, injuries or, or additional news at the time. But other than that, interesting i mean there's a lot of there's there's obviously always going to be some issues with team level modeling uh i think that's just one of the issues with ken palm in general but um and i've encountered stuff like that march madness in the past with a big player going down pre-tournament where it's very difficult to quantify that team just in general but i mean if you're going to bet a team to win a certain region or something you can just avoid that region i mean it's not it's not ideal but it's there are alternatives, um, uh, or if you think you can come up with a decent enough estimator, you can go for it as well. Yeah, there's a menu, and you get to select from it. So you get you get your choice. You don't have to bet on every single team, and just because you like Villanova doesn't mean you need to put a future bet in on Villanova. And and again, you're 
I mean, if you do the proper line shopping and you have multiple outs, you're taking this 20%, 15 to 20% hold market, and you're bringing it down to five to 10%. And then what you're doing on that five to 10% is evaluating one you think might be an edge just because it's a five to 10% hold market doesn't mean it's actually split evenly. So you might even find kind of looking around that this one book kind of has this number. It seems like very different than the other ones. Like that alone, like, is it an edge? Like, how do you know? You would need to compare it to the true price. So if you're able to come up with something that's like a true price, then now you actually have justification to say, okay, like I found a smallish hold here. So worst case, if I was betting into this hold, I'm losing, you know, 5%. But realistically, this is probably the off market number here. So this might be an actual positive EV play. Interesting. Well, I mean, I hope a bunch of people out there learn something about um, a way to go about something like this because it's not easy. I mean, it's. Um, I remember first trying to do this when I was in in university years ago, um, and it can be a, a struggle at times to kind of come up with what you think the probabilities should be for each individual round, whether you should bet that right away or or like just bet the individual game and then roll it over. So. Um, it's interesting approach. I think it's applicable across a lot of sports. And I, I, th- I think for that reason, um, it's something that people should try for themselves. I mean, it, maybe if it's overwhelming for a tournament that's huge or something like that, only start with a region or start with a different sport that's more comfortable for you. But I can certainly say that over the years that as I've started to do stuff like this, it just becomes more routine, I would say. And you kind of find your own your own flow and your own process that works for you. And uh, over time, it's just like kind of, yeah, it becomes natural in, in a sense. Yeah, one, one thing I can add is you have the first game available to you mm-hmm. and what the efficient price is. Like, I'm not saying to bet it kind of as soon as they're available, but, you know, as the market shapes up, you know what the efficient price is on the first game. It's a given. And it's not like a great heuristic, but you could always take a look at the rankings of given teams and kind of assume that while the one or, you know, seven versus 10, if they win that game, they play the, you know, two versus 15. If they play the two, they're going to be a lower favorite or a a higher underdog. And if they Mm -hmm. play the 15, they're going to be like, you kind of have some tools at your disposal and you know, the first one, the first one is like a given. So you could use some logic there to kind of come up with that. And if you have the something like a, like a, a series price of hockey where you're playing the same team over and over again, like game one price is known. Game two price is also pretty close to known because how much different is it going to get from game one? Now, maybe there's some things like maybe you do some stuff where you consider, um, you know, second game teams do certain things different, but realistically the price is going to be pretty similar to game one. And then game three is going to be similar to game two, except now the different team is home. So whatever you weigh home, um, you have to consider that. But then, but then that you know the price is already sort of known. No, that's a, that's a good point. Um, much much easier when that's the case, and it's the same team playing each other over and over, like in a hockey series. But that's a that's a good example. Uh, thanks for joining us, Julian. I mean, um, even I learned something from listening to you there, or at least into your uh, into your process, which. Uh, I always find interesting to uh, on how people um, will evaluate the same market in, in different manners or have a different way of going about it. And I think we kind of do the same thing, but you're more of a technical guy than I am for sure because of the programming skills. And um, I was trying to compare 
how I do things on a, on a spreadsheet in my head. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, along the same lines of things. So appreciate you uh, providing insight into how you go about things. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you say it's easier on a spreadsheet for you. This is easier for me, but, right. but it's, yeah, exactly. Zone. Yep. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like I said, to, to start it off, it's, it's a fun market to bet into. There really is no better time than, you know, sweating out a March basketball game. It's, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to get in some action and you want to try to get some plus EV and you want to kind of figure out is, uh, you know, how do I get an edge? What's kind of a beatable market? I, I think this is a beatable market. I think you can find an edge on some of these and like reduce your hold and kind of play around with it. And, and it's fun. If you enjoy that kind of thing, you're going to have fun. And the good news is for something like March Madness is every single sports book on the planet is going to offer odds on it. So you can find some pretty decent prices along the way, at least ones that stand out as being off market. And that's one huge benefit as well. For sure. I mean, just that alone, you'll probably find some off market prices, but even when you compare and, and they're not like off market, you're going to find fairly low hold on some of these yes, no markets. All right, cool. Thanks for having me on guys. It was, uh, it was fun. Thanks, Thanks for coming on buddy. Um, and for, for anybody, by the way, who thinks that this is like a little too complex for them, like, ah, I don't have enough time for that. I'd rather just bet the futures. Um, you, you could go ahead, but this is like, these are what I talk about a lot with these little, little micro edges. Like when somebody's pricing out a to make the sweet 16 price, they're literally looking at that once, twice, setting it and forgetting about it because it's not going to be as much exposure to the book. So the full tournament futures lines, you better believe somebody's monitoring that because they're going to, they're going to have high exposure on that. And somebody's going to be wanting to watch their chart on where they're getting money. These smaller ones that might have, you know, like, uh, you know, $500 limits, $200 limits, they're not going to get as much attention. And that's where you want to look. You want to look where people are not going to be focused and where you can catch people sleeping. Simply put. I think that's just a generally a, a good concept in sports betting. I mean, it, it's all, it's all, um, it's all dependent, right. On, on the person because limits are a factor for some people, but the vast majority of betters. Uh, are not going to have a, an issue with limits at all. And and I think I agree with you, Johnny, in that um, some of these markets are just, they don't get the attention that a major market is going to get. Um, and because of that, they become more exploitable. So um, definitely opportunities along the way. I like what, what did you call it? A micro edge there? I like that micro edge market. Yeah, I like that terminology. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's nothing that you're going to, you know, get rich off of, but it's, they all add up. Everything adds up. Um, and you get a little bit of, you know, get more expected value in a market like this versus something where you're grinding out like one to 2% edges on, on a major market. So, um, definitely worthwhile. Yep. For sure. All right, Johnny, we like to talk about some sort of entertainment topic, I guess, every single week. And the, the last couple of weeks we've, we've broached the, the subject of top shot and, and NFTs in general, uh, but this one's pretty timely, and uh, it's something that's been discussed quite a bit in the gambling Twitter community, uh, which is the launching or the announcement, I should say, of Unabated, um, which is a site that is going to be launched at some point this summer. Um, what we know is that it's going to be some sort of betting tools type of site, and the faces behind it are Rufus Peabody and Captain Jack Andrews. Um, so they've been met with a lot of flack <laughs> as, as is common in, uh, 
in the gambling Twitter community. But um, I, I wanted to to pick your brain on this a little bit, Johnny, and get your thoughts. I'll st- I'll start really quickly, just so that everyone knows. I mean, this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone who knows me, but Rufus is a friend of mine. Um, we we met maybe about five years ago, so this isn't like a lifelong friendship. Um, but I would consider him a friend. I message him pretty regularly. Um, I, I appear on his podcast, um, bet the process with, with, um, Jeff mock pretty frequently. So I think you're, I think you're top guest of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think over the, the course of COVID they were messaging me like almost every other week to, to get me on, which is not a problem, but I, people need to know that because that influences my perspective. And then captain Jack, I don't know very well. I met Captain Jack in New Jersey a couple years ago. I was at the Betting on America conference that they had at um, the Meadowlands, and um, Spanky introduced him to me. He was a good guy. We got along, but we didn't really get much time to chat. Um, probably the second time I've interacted him with him in a um, video setting was when we had the Calcutta draft for the NFL playoffs That was um, that Rufus and Jeff Ma held as well. So... I don't know Captain Jack well. Um, I've consumed some of his content on YouTube, uh, but I, I think that's just important for to provide some context because I, I think it definitely has some impact on on what I think of this entire situation. Uh, but let, let's start, Johnny, with the flack that th- they've received. So the, the the gambling Twitter community is in an uproar because Rufus is very anti-tote. He's made this very clear many times. Do not buy picks. That's his stance. He has attacked Totes on Twitter before. And now he is potentially launching a service where they'll be selling in some capacity. I don't know what. But do you think that's hypocritical for one? And um, I mean, just further to that, do you think it's warranted for people to go after him and say that, I mean, you've been against this for so long? How do you go about and do something like this? Yeah, I mean, good questions. Uh, quick background. So, like, I, I know uh, Captain Jack and Rufus as well. Um, again, not not like super close friends. We chat back and forth uh, every once in a while. So I, I knew kind of that this project was coming down the road for the last couple of months and um, got to hear a little bit about it. So I'm, I'm biased because I think I know exactly or a little bit more than the general public knows about what it's going to be. Uh, but ultimately, like, it's it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Cause Twitter is such like a toxic place for some people. And when you have like a guy like Rufus, who, like you said, has been just like bashing on people for so long, he, not that he's been like physically like attacking people or anything like that, but a lot of stuff about like, you know, don't buy, he w- wouldn't have like pick sellers on his podcast, his, his conversation with like Ed from right angle sports. Um, when, when they, you know, go back and forth on Twitter and it's always about like, you know, no one could buy picks or only so, so few people can like benefit from things like that. So then to go ahead and like launch his own service, regardless of what people think it is, if you go to the website right now, it literally just says your direct path to intelligent betting, be the first to see what pro betters, Rufus Peabody and Jack Andrews have teamed up to build. It doesn't say anything about selling picks. Nobody knows what it is. So anyone who's like criticizing this right now is just, you know, it's like sharing a headline without reading the article. However, um, it's pretty tough. Like, I mean, I like Rufus. I texted him this morning. It's, it's pretty tough to feel bad for him, for people ripping on him for this, because that's just like kind of his brand, his persona. So you could see why people are doing it and I can't, you know, get mad at it. But at the same time, like, it's tough to, 
you know, it's, it's definitely judging a book by its cover. You don't know what the product is. So people are assuming why would they be launching this? It's not going to have value. If it did have value, Rufus would keep it. If it, you know, if it does have value, it's going to lose its value really quick. Nobody really knows what it is. And until it launches and it's people can try it out, then, you know, share all the criticisms you want. Uh, but for now, I think like, you know, you got to just let it go and, and see what happens. Yeah. I, I get a lot of what you're saying just in general. Um, it feels like I'm sometimes when I'm I'm consuming this on on gambling Twitter with the back and forth that were happening, especially this morning. It, it feels like I'm in elementary school, like primary school. It's 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 just like honestly, such a toddler argument, and I, and it comes up because the word tout is used, and the word tout has such a negative connotation in the gambling Twitter community, right? Like as soon as you call someone a tout. They immediately get so defensive of it, even if they are a tout, just in general. Um, like it's happened a million times before, right? Uh, I, I, I can think of Kelly in Vegas as an example, right? I, I know Kelly. People call her out as being a tout and she says, I don't sell anything. Well, I mean, you know, you, you're working for Wager Talk. You appear in promotional videos. Where do we draw the line? Like, and... The word tout in and of itself, like if you look up the dic- in the dictionary, I'm going to say online dictionary because no one has an actual dictionary at home anymore. But the, the word tout means to someone who sells something aggressively. That's the pure and pure definition. It's kind of transformed in the gambling Twitter space to like, if you sell, you're a tout. It's not really the definition of the word in general, but because that word is thrown around and there's such a negative connotation to it, it it causes such a shitstorm, and in this situation, you're completely right. No one has any idea what this product is going to be. Zero clue. And immediately, Jack Rufus, people jump all over them. Now, if it turns out to be a pick sale site, I think that's warranted. If it's not, and if it's some sort of betting tool site that ends up providing value to someone who subscribes, then it's unwarranted. But the reality is no one knows anything right now. Like, I I don't know how, how there are so many strong opinions on the situation when there is nothing publicly known about the product. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think a lot of people have the issue with the fact that like, it's kind of funny if you think of it, um, Ed from right angle sports pointed this out in a tweet, but I think Rufus had in his bio all the way up until maybe last week it said like, quote unquote, not here to sell you anything. And then he he quickly removed it and replaced it with like co-founder of unabated, which again, it's, it's, it's funny. And I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun at anyone or like criticize anything like that. But, um, it's like you said with, with Kelly in Vegas, if, if you say I'm not selling anything, then you better make sure as hell that like, you're not going to sell, like you're not in it for ulterior motives. Because if you think of it, like your brand has value. Right. So Rob, like, look at you, you don't sell picks, but your brand I, I did has though. value. I did though. Sure. Sure. But I'm saying right now, right now you don't sell picks. You don't give out your hockey, you don't give out your hockey picks, but you do appear, you do like, you know, on Twitter are portrayed as someone who is a winning better and who wins at betting hockey. So for you to say now, like, Oh, I don't sell anything so I can say whatever I want. And then now go ahead and turn around and say, oh, now I sell my hockey picks. You're still building a brand that whole time when you weren't selling anything. You're still gaining reputability. It's that in itself is like, it's just a different type of currency that you're selling. It's like 
clicks or views as a new currency or likes as a currency on social media versus like physical dollars. So yeah, you weren't profiting physical dollars, but you were growing a following, you're building your brand, which had value. So in theory, you know, you were portraying in profit, you are portraying in profiting right now. So if you go ahead now and sell picks, it's fine. You still do whatever you want, but, uh, under the kind of mentality of like, I would never sell picks. You can never do this to then go around and, th and turn around and do it. it sucks. I'm not saying that's what Rufus is doing. In fact, I, I don't think it is at all. Um, but, and people will see that when they see the product, but uh, it's just, that's the mentality. That's what people are looking and seeing. That's what people are, are up, uproared about. That's what they're enraged about. I think this is so 2021 just in general. And like, I can draw it back to just everything that's going on in the world right now. But the there there is no such thing as like a neutral view anymore. I've talked about this before, but there's always an extreme side. Like you, you can't, no one takes neutral views. No one just says like, hmm, I'm interested to see what this is. Let's, let's wait and see what, what happens here. It's either a defense of, of what they're doing, or it's a full on full fledged attack. And like, I'm just here to kind of like wait it out. I, I knew this was coming down the pipeline. I, I I've had, I'm not going to share the, I've, I've had very candid conversations with Rufus, uh, in the past before. And every time I record about the process, Jeff ends up leaving and, and me and Rufus stay on and we talk to each other for an hour and catch up on things. And I mean, we share stuff with one another that, um, I, you know, I'm not going to air in a, a public forum, but, um, so like, I knew this was coming down the pipeline. I, I knew that this was probably the way it would be received at some point, but I, I just don't understand it. And like the people who are like, oh, you know, he's, he's only selling now because he's lost his edge. Maybe it's completely possible, but that like, I, I think you're, you're seeing a lot of professionals start to diversify. Because it's getting harder to win in general. Like I, I can speak firsthand. I'm not someone who's done this for a long time professionally. I really started making good money betting on sports four years ago. That's the reality of it. I lost a lot of money early on in my life betting on sports. I was completely undercapitalized when I first started making good money. And if I could go back in time, I would be betting so much more than I actually did at the time. But I can tell you firsthand, my edges are going down on a yearly basis. That's for a number of reasons, but one, it's harder to get down the volume. It's hard to get down the volume that I need for one. Two, the market is way more competitive in general. Overnight action comes in, like it knocks the, the lines right into place. There's nothing I can do about that. I can bet that I can bet earlier at a much smaller bet. But the reality is that like for everyone, for everyone who's, who's not really familiar with what that is, by the way, when Rob says overnight action, he just means when lines are posted for hockey the night before they typically have like peanut limits, they're going to be like, you know, 250 bucks, 500 bucks maximum at some of the books. And as soon as they get hit once for 500 bucks, they'll move significantly. So what he means is like when somebody's hitting the limits beforehand, they're getting a plus expected value bet. But the book is essentially profiting there because they're only paying, you know, $500 less expected value of that, of that wager to move that line to an efficient line. And it ruins the edge for a lot of people who would have been able to take advantage of that at much higher limits. So sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, I think no, a lot of people typically ask me that question about what that means. Yeah, that's so exactly that people betting into smaller limits that are, are sharp enough to still move the line to where it should be. And then the news edges are gone. Like the news edges 
um, I, I hate to always bring it back to hockey because I do bet other sports as well, but this is, this one applies very easily. Like goalies in hockey, right? A backup goalie a few years ago got announced. That line would stay where it was for five minutes or more. You could get down a ton off screen. Now a backup goalie gets announced where there's a big difference at the starter. Someone just goes and smashes Pinnacle and Chris right away. The number's gone in 10 seconds. Like it's an extremely competitive market now. And the reality is I still win at sports. I don't win at the same ROI that I used to. I would guarantee that Rufus would say the same thing. So diversifying your income into different streams, I think makes just complete common sense. Now, the question is whether or not he's providing a service of value. And that's what it's going to come down to. But I think it's way too early in its infancy now. Like I know that they are going to run a site that has betting tools, quote unquote betting tools. That can mean a lot of different things. But there's a lot of ways that tools can provide value to a better. Plain and simple. Yeah. No, and nobody really knows like exactly what it's going to be, how it's going to be structured. And people are saying like, oh, they're going to ultimately charge or, you know, I think Rufus has been clear that he's not going to, you know, affiliate market or anything like that because he doesn't believe in that. But who knows if it's a subscription, if it's a yearly thing, if it's a, you know, collecting data, I'm not here to criticize what it's going to be. Like, to be honest, as everyone knows on that's listening to this podcast, like, um, you know, I have my own company that I'm building uh, in tandem with, with, with Julian, who we just heard from. And like, you know, it's a way to dis- diversify for us as well. Now, everyone has different motives. A lot of times they're going to be driven by, you know, money. You wouldn't be doing, he wouldn't be launching this company for free. So I'm sure you will try to monetize his hard work. And that's, you know, everyone has the right to earn. Uh, I just caution like before, obviously making like harsh claims or anything like that just wait for the product or at the very minimum, wait for, you know, more information on what it's going to be. And then if you don't agree with it still, and you can form your own opinion, then, then dive in. But one thing I wanted to touch on here is, which I think is, it's interesting for sure, is uh, a tweet from uh, a guy who, I don't know if everyone knows him on Twitter at live dog Luke. And if you know who it is, uh, you'll know this guy's the real deal. And he definitely knows his shit uh, in terms of betting, but it's in response to, you know, something that Rufus tweeted where he mentioned that quote, I'll just quote it. He said, we're building products that I myself would use. I'll leave it at that. Um, and in response, what Luke said was, this does not sound much different than a tout who says they bet their own picks. And so you should as well. The elephant in the room is why would pro bettors give away tools that help shape their edge if those tools were still profitable? So him saying that, I mean, I, I agree. It's just, a, it's a different discussion. Like, what do you think? So is there a way in which the tools can be, you know, profitable to betters? And, and, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting topic of conversation. Cause I've, I've, I've never been in the camp of anti-tout. I've been very open about this before. Again, at one point in my life, I did sell picks for a year. I've talked about this ad nauseum before, but I really, really tried to sell picks, quote unquote, the right way. I, I could look back on the year where I did it. I'm very, I'm, I'm honestly, like, it's weird to say that I'm proud of it, but I'm kind of proud of the way that I went about it just in general. And like, I have no problem with a tout that sells picks and bets their own picks. It's like, it's just additional revenue and income for them. Now there's some scenarios where there's a plus EV tout that um, the buyer can't capitalize on. 
for example, because the lines move too quickly or something of that nature. And then that's where you start to come into problems just in general. But I, I talk about stuff all the time that I don't want to say gives away my edge, but allows for other people to become sharper in general. Um, we talk about stuff like that on this pod in general, do we not? I mean, we bring it up every week, additional ways to win. It's, it's not destroying our long-term edge, but it's information that's going to be valuable. Um, and like, that's the thing here. Like there are tools that, that people can use. I'll give an example that I get all the time, right? Um, buying points. I won't even say buying points in the NFL. When I give out picks during the course of the season, it's like, why did you take the plus three, plus 100 instead of plus three and a half minus 125 or whatever, right? And it's a simple mathematical calculation. You provide someone with a tool to be able to do that. That's something that's beneficial to them. Doesn't really hurt your edge. I I mean, that's just one example, right? Uh, Like, I I think there's, I think what, what, what was it? Big dog Luke? Live dog Luke. Live dog Luke. I think there's some validity to what he's saying there, but I don't think it's concrete. That's that's the problem here. Like people take a, a 99 percentile thing and they 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 say it as an absolute. And there's exceptions to that. There's always exceptions to that. There are touts that win and provide value for the service to to the clients that they have. There's going to be betting tools. This is probably not going to be the first betting tool site. I guarantee that. There's already some out there and it won't be the last. Um that are going to provide value to the to the clients in general without hurting a long-term edge for the bet for for Jack and, and Rufus. So so here's my opinion on the whole thing is first off, I do believe in these guys to to put out a product that's going to be, you know, within their own morals and and standards. Like I don't think it's going to be a garbage product. It's not going to be an action network V2. Um, what I do think is you need to have perspective on who's going to be using this tool and why they would want to use it. So everyone who's critical right now is someone who is like, you know, a sharp, usually typically like a sharp better or someone who knows how to win or someone who's at least trying to win and is break even or better for somebody who's a right now, you know, holding 2% or 2% ROI better. Will this tool get them to up to a 5% ROI? Probably not because if it did, you know, it'd be probably more valuable for Rufus and, and Captain Jack to keep to themselves. But, you know, so growing from a 5% or a 2% ROI to a 5% ROI, is probably not going to happen. But can these tools help someone be from, you know, go from a negative seven ROI better to a negative 3% ROI better? I think absolutely. So in terms of helping people and providing value, people really need to think about the types of better that there are, the whole, the total profile of the industry. like take a step back from just Twitter, for example, like what about all the people on, you know, Instagram or all the people watching, you know, the big major networks and, and getting the picks off there and, you know, taking a look at the public percentages and all the stuff that, you know, all the books are touting right now and the book, books are pumping hard. Like overall it, people get very pigeon, like they, they look really narrow and say, ah, this doesn't help me, or this doesn't help the guy. This is not going to provide any value. No one's going to get rich off this. It's still going to, in all likelihood, provide a lot of value to a lot of betters. And if value, like we said, is going from a negative 7% ROI to a negative 4% ROI and increasing the fun, keeping you in the game longer and providing entertainment value for you while you're watching sports, that's probably worth whatever subscription or anything they might, they might charge. Uh, and our platform, BetStamp, is 
it's built in a slightly different way. Uh, but, but overall, like you don't need to be making a ton of money to provide, to have value in, in anything. You, you, as long as it's giving you more than you're paying for it, it's worth it. Yep. I, I completely agree with that. I, the, the thing that, um, the only thing that, that bothers me, you mentioned it a few minutes ago about Rufus, um, saying, you know, we're not going to go the, the affiliate route where we're sending traffic to sports books. That's where it's kind of like a hypocrisy to me because it's like, okay, if you're providing tools that are going to help a better, then you don't have to feel guilty about sending them to a sports book. Yeah. Uh, like, I, 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 I've never had a, I don't have a problem with the affiliate model at all. I honestly don't. I don't understand what people, why people completely shit on that model just in general. Well, I, I do understand why. And it's because the vast majority of affiliates are providing very, very shitty content and they're passing it off as good content where the consumer can't draw that distinction. They click through to a sports book. They lose a bunch of money. Who knows if they're on a rev share deal or not. But, and and that's where like, I don't really necessarily like the action network model in that there's so much garbage content on that platform. Uh, there's some good stuff as well, but it's just completely overwhelmed by a lot of garbage. And that I, I understand, but you know, if, if you're monetizing a business, there's a, there's very few ways that you can monetize a business in the sports betting space, right? Um, and and if you really feel that your product is providing value to the better, then what's the problem with the affiliate route? You should not. You should never feel guilty about sending them to a sports book if you're helping them win and feel confidently that you're going to help them win. So that's what really bothered me um, the most out of everything. Like, I, I don't care that, that Rufus is going down the path of selling anything. I, I firmly believe that both him and Jack in their hearts are building a product that they would use. I completely think that that's the case, but it's just like the random, oh, we don't, we won't monetize in this way. We're, you know, like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I think like you, you mentioned affiliate revenue, affiliate revenue stream gets a ton of I guess bad press because like you said, all these sites are pumping out like literally physical articles saying, here's your top five bets for this, for March madness. They're the lines like don't exist or whatever it is. It's just not, it's no value. And then they're pumping in like six, seven affiliate links per article, bet here, bet here, bet here, bet here, just trying to, you know, make a quick buck. Um, but as you mentioned, like I don't even, there's affiliate marketing is actually good for if you, if you care about your, your consumers, your user base, like, I want everyone I know who bets on sports. The, the first thing I recommend if they say, oh, how can I improve? The first thing I say is like, open up another three books, go look for another three books and open up three more. And the benefit, like we always mention, is you don't have to place bets at that book. If you don't want to, you can open it up and you can shop the menu, you could browse. And then when something goes on sale, you buy it. And if it doesn't go on sale, you don't buy it. So I would never affiliate for a book that I didn't believe in. Like, a, you know, I would never affiliate for offshore books that stiff or something like that. Like, that's not, that's not, I'm not going to send you somewhere that I wouldn't play myself, but ultimately like send, I would send anybody I knew to a book, for example, like points bet, even if they were, you know, no matter what was going to happen, it doesn't matter. You, you can learn from that. You can go play there. If it works out. It works out. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but there's a benefit to going and playing at all of these books. So affiliate marketing, as long as you're not taking like a rev share and then sending losing players on well, that, purpose, that's it. there's right, nothing like wrong with that. 
there's different there's different deals and and I've I've consulted in this space for a, a while now so I'm pretty familiar with it just in general and I think people do have issue with the rev share deals but those are pretty much obsolete like there's very few sports books that are still on rev share deals if they are they're they're legacy deals from years ago um and and when I say a rev share deal that means that um any player that loses at the sports book their losses are split between with uh, the sports book itself, the operator and, and who affiliated them uh, versus what's more typical now, which is a CPA cost per acquisition where the sports book just pays the affiliate for a player. Um, you send me a player, they deposit, I give you 150 bucks or whatever it is. And those are negotiable, but it's the same as a refer a friend bonus. If you think of it, it's like refer a friend, I'll give you some money extra. There's nothing wrong with that. If your friend needs to be referred and wants to be referred, you're like, Oh, okay, sure. But if you're purposely referring a friend and get a share of his losses, then now, you know, this morality gets called into question. So I, I get why there's criticism around it, but ultimately like if, if it's done the right way. And also, I mean, I think if you're affiliate marketing and saying like, here are the odds at this book, or here is what this book is offering, open an account if you want or, or whatever, or here is a, a book that, you know, you would benefit from because you've got whatever it might be. That's fine. But to push people and like, hey, here's a, a couple futures bets that you should make that have zero value and like go bet them at this book because you can get a $200 bonus to start. That is kind of like a well, different way. So yeah, I get uh, Captain Jack and Rufus's point as well. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't like the shitty affiliate marketing. I, 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 it's not shitty. It's actually actually very good if your your sole goal is to make money, which is find keywords that you can rank for and just build content around them. Like most people are going to find a sports book by searching on Google. Where to, where do I bet? Where do I bet in the USA? How best sports book to use. And as long as you can rank highly for those terms, there's a very good chance that players are going to find you that way. So if you're an action network, for example, you focus on keywords like NFL sports betting and you write as much content with those words as possible. And you link those articles together as much as possible. And they dominate in SEO. Like if you Google a lot of these key terms, big affiliates like Action Network, you know, Sportsbook Review, they're going to come up. You're going to click into there. You're going to find some article. And if you're on site, they have plastered links to all sorts of sports books. And to me, that's like, it's it's dirty marketing in a sense, right? Because you're, you're not providing anything of value. But if you are providing something of value, then I have zero issue with it. And that's few and far between. I completely understand that there's not very many affiliates out there that are actually providing something to to what they're affiliating. But this to me is like very easily could be an affiliate play if you have great betting tools. I mean, you could charge a subscription too. That's not a problem. You can go the Netflix model and it's a recurring subscription. There, There's a number of ways to monetize, but um, I, I just, I, I like if you believe in what you're doing, I don't understand why that road is completely off the table. Yeah. Agreed. And then last thing I want to say on this before we, uh, we close off is, uh, so we mentioned Rufus, Captain Jack, but there's a third member involved if you check the website and that's a guy by the name of Dan Fabrizio. And I've, I've, I've met Dan once uh, earlier last year. Um, very nice guy, very sharp guy. And he's actually one of the, the co-founders or founders of sports insights, as well as fantasy labs, bet labs, some really cool tools at the time that were bought out by action network. And like I saw on Twitter as well, they're getting some flack about like, Oh, an X, another X action network guy or guy who like sold out to action network. And ultimately all I want to say is like, 
I, again, I, he's not, I don't, I'm not very close with Dan. I've talked to him a handful of times, but I know he resigned from the action network. I know he, he likely believes in, in, you know, making a tool that's better and, you know, not necessarily going to be something that's just like out there and not unique. So I do have faith in the team of the three of them to make a good product. I think they will. And I just want to say like, to close it off for me, I guess, like, you know, criticize all you want and it's all fun and games, but at least give it, give the product a chance when it comes out. And at least I know I will. Yeah. I mean, for me, I pride myself on, on trying to remain impartial or being, being able to remain impartial, unbiased as much as possible. I think when you're a sports better, you kind of have to do that. Um, especially if you're a big sports fan, like I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm a huge Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs fan, Blue Jays fan. I've bet against these teams many, many times because you have to, you have to remain unbiased. And I've kind of learn that lesson. For me, it's I'm at the point where it's like, just wait and see. I don't have enough information to make a decision on what this product is yet. So how am I going to, how am I going to bash it? How am I going to advocate for it? Like, I'm, I'm excited to see what they build because it actually got me thinking about what betting tools I, I could build if I, if I wanted to. And I, I had some ideas. I, w- I won't share them because frankly, it doesn't matter at this point, but like, What's the problem with just waiting for the product to come out and then judging based off of that? I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't understand that. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I get that there are people in the, uh, there are people like uh, Ed, Right Angle Sports, um, Eddie Walls, uh, which Eddie Drink Your Milkshake, other touts that have definitely provided value to customers over their lifetime. That feel attacked and have felt attacked over the years by the anti-tout stuff. So I, I, I can see where they're upset and want to fire back right away. But like, we don't have any information uh, on what this is. Like, I, I get that it felt like a great opportunity to retaliate. And I maybe I would do the same if I were in their, their shoes. I, I completely understand it. But like, what what are we doing? And Eddie here? Walls had me laughing with one of his tweets. He said, oh, he's great, he said, if he, if he ever touts again, He's just going to go full on. He doesn't care. He's just going to go <laughs> selling as hard as he can. Just picks. No, no write-ups. No, no. And I, I was laughing re- really hard at that. That's uh, he's, he's a stand-up guy. It's uh, it's funny to read his stuff. A little bit of a tangent here as I'm apt to do. The pick write-ups in general are a fucking joke anyways. Like I've never understood someone who's buying the pick just to read the right. Like you you see these write-ups that most of these touts write. It's like, what is this garbage? If anything, it's like, there's zero, there's zero value in the pick anyways, for the most part, for most of these guys. But like the write-ups are, are what gets me. Like imagine being like a consumer. That's like, I'm, I'm only going to buy this guy's picks because he has a write-up and, and then you read it and it's like, Oh, you know, this team is nine and one in their last 10 games when there's a full moon. And you know, like it's, I don't know. I this the face yeah, yeah. or the it's face like is this guy this guy's injured from the game and it's like he's that guy's been out for three three games already right or, or or like he's that's fine he's injured you're releasing your play at one o'clock we knew this at ten o'clock in the morning the line is already adjusted for this that's uh, pick write ups man I get that that's actually um there's a lot of shitty things about having open DMs on Twitter because you get a lot of messages with questions that um like are complex. You don't really have the time to answer. You get a lot of negative feedback just in general, but there's the guys, the guys that make me howl by sending write-ups of other cappers picks where they're like, have you seen this? Read this. Please tell me it's not the funniest thing you've ever read. 
And there's so, so many good ones out there, man. There's just like some that are next level. You, you wouldn't even believe them if you read them. Like how someone could write this and how someone could purchase this and then potentially purchase this again after reading it. I saw my favorite one from the NFL season was someone had a write-up that was uh, how they were betting the Las Vegas Raiders. And the whole write-up was about how, or sorry, they're betting against the Raiders. And the whole write-up was how this is a huge play because Henry Ruggs is out for the Raiders and he's, <laughs> and he's a, a huge loss for the offense. When like we do a lot of NFL props up here, like Henry Ruggs is not, he's like an under one and a half catch kind of guy. Like he's not, yeah, he's not a game changer. It's he's... honestly potentially the smallest loss they could have had on the, in the entire team would be Henry Ruggs being out. Um, I know, I know he's, he's going to get better as a first round pick, but the way in his season last year, I think that may have been, there may not have been a, a smaller loss to their team than that. And I read the whole write up and was, you know, laughing so hard about, about that, but, uh, it is what I, it is. I posted one earlier this year. Uh, I have a personal vendetta against this guy as I do many, but I'll, I don't mind mentioning his name is he goes by Sherwood sports wagers or whatever. The reason I, I can't stand the guy is because he went after me years ago saying that I'm not a winning better uh, betting on hockey and, and his, his records are terrible. But I posted one from earlier this year, which is my ultimate favorite tote handicap in general, where they make the case for one team. They write, they write like the strongest argument for one team. And then at the bottom, they finish it off with, this is so obvious that we're going to play the other side. Like I, that's, that's my f- absolute favorite write-up. Like so much info on just like uh, this, like this team has a major matchup advantage here. They have, th- th- uh, these guys are out, blah, 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 blah. But the bookmakers know this and they've hung this line that we're just going to go the other way. And it's like, those are my favorite ones. It's like, what, what are you doing at that point? Like, what are you doing? I, I cannot like just take me off of this earth if I ever write something like that. Yeah. How about uh, another topic? Did you see those alien punks yesterday and it, today? Uh, there was like a $7 million one, I think. Oh, I don't, I don't look in terms of millions. I look oh, in, in ETH, 4,200. Wow, man, what I would give to have one of those punks, man. I, I do get, I do get, um, it's unhealth. I'm in an unhealthy state with the punks right now where like I get triggered by the, the, the push notifications when, when like, when I think a punk went for a lower than market price, I don't have infinite Ethereum to spend. Let me make that very clear. So I have to, I have to choose my, my punks wisely, but I get so triggered when I think someone got a steal on a punk and I wasn't there to capitalize. So it's, it's become very unhealthy to the point where I may have to step away for, for a little bit, like just from the day to day, like I'm not, I'm not stepping away from my punks now, but maybe like take a week break off the marketplace or something. Take a couple day, a couple day break. Whew, no, because these, for all those who don't, who don't know or don't follow it, there's uh, the alien punk is the most rare type. Uh, there's only a couple of them and they've always sold for the highest historically. And then, uh, so yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, one, like one of the cool alien punks with a pipe sold for, uh, 4,200, uh, ether, which was the, which is the USD equivalent of seven and a half million USD. And then this morning 
somebody put an offer on one of the other alien punks that wasn't even listed for sale. They just offered the exact amount, the 4,200 ether. And it was, and that was accepted as well. So now that's two sales in two days of seven and a half of the, of what would be the equivalent of seven and a half million right now. Um, just what, like just a, no, but honestly though, I, I, I actually do think like, I don't see these ever selling for, I don't see this selling for less than I, I'm, I, I will one up you and say that, I think at some point these things sell for like 50 million. Yeah, no, like, I think those were steals. Like if I had yeah. the money to spend on that, um, okay, you'd laugh at me all you want. Like I, no, again, I, I'm, I'm I don't have laughing, a spare 4,200 ETH, yeah, but exactly. if I did, if I did, there's a strong possibility. Like we laugh, you laugh until you actually realize that like none of this has to make sense. Like look at the other, well, there was some other artwork today that sold for uh, 69 million, the nicest yes. number. 69 69 mil and if you look if you compare it to like the regular art market these are this is peanuts so set like seven mils is peanuts in the regular art market uh these things can there's there's no reason why they can't be worth again could go to zero could also go to you know in the hundreds of millions who knows well it's a speculative market i mean you're, you're assuming some risk regardless um i do agree though that i think yeah, we talked about this last week a little bit, but um, yeah, I think the punk space still has a, a lot of room to grow just in general. All right. Well, thanks. Great episode this week. Uh, good luck with uh, Tortellini's picks rest of the week. I'm, ho- I hope I'm so. honestly pulling for him for the, the sake of the challenge and we will uh, see everybody next week. Take care.